You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Wednesday to you. It's time for Herd Mentality, the podcast episode each week where you take control of the discussion by submitting your questions, comments, takes, whatever you have, and I address it here on the podcast, and that's exactly what we're going to do. Let's get started. First one comes from Kyle, who says, with New England going big with two tight ends and the chance that Miami drafts Pitts to run 12 personnel with Gusecki, should the Bills trade up and make sure they get Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, the linebacker from Notre Dame? And could they possibly have two plans for if the Finns get Pitts or someone like Chase or Waddle? One getting Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa and the other being go for best available corner. I know you shouldn't always be so focused, but I'm wondering if that with all the divisional offensive changes, along with the way the defense played against tight ends last year, would it change the way the team may perceive the immediacy of that Buffalo nickel slash hybrid defender? This is a really good question because there's a very good chance that Miami comes away with either Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, or Jalen Waddell. They are going to add a really dynamic playmaker to their offense. And obviously the Patriots have invested heavily in the tight end position with Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. Let's not forget the New York Jets. While they don't have a tight end that scares you right now, they want to recreate that San Francisco offense in New York. And part of that San Francisco offense is a tight end like George Kittle that they get involved. So tight ends are definitely a thing. You think about Travis Kelsey, you think about the Colts, they like to get tight ends involved. The Baltimore Ravens get tight end involved. So the Bills' course to winning the AFC definitely comes with dealing with a lot of tight ends. So yes, I think it's something that the Bills need to be mindful of. How are they going to adjust and evolve their scheme defensively to handle tight ends? And Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa from Notre Dame is the perfect guy to add. He is the type of player that you can play in the overhang, you can line him up right on top of tight ends, and he has the size and athleticism to give you a chance to take those players away. So yes, I do think this is a very worthwhile idea. Now, one thing I feel compelled to say in response to this question is to remind everyone that the rest of the AFC East and the AFC, they're sitting around figuring out how are they going to deal with the Bills? How are they going to deal with Josh Allen? How are they going to deal with 10 personnel and Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley? So let's not lose sight that the Bills present a world of challenges for opponents to deal with, and it's not just the Bills having to keep up with what the rest of the AFC is doing. The next one comes from Jonesy, who says, I've been using the Draft Network mock draft machine almost every day, and I have a would-you-rather for you. In the first three rounds, would you rather get Caleb Farley, Tommy Togiai, and Peyton Turner, or... Quiddy Pay, Ifeatu Melifanwu, and Aleem McNeil. Thank you. I would take the Pay, Melifanwu, and McNeil trio. I like them both. 
I just think that there's a higher floor when it comes to that second group, and I like Pay as the defensive end option more than Turner, and I like Turner, but Pay at 30 gets me really, really excited. Mike says, I'm a lifelong Syracuse and Buffalo Bills fan, and I've always thought it'd be cool to see more Cuse alumni on the Bills roster. I've seen both Trill Williams and Ifeatu Melifonwu headed to the Bills in different mock drafts, but haven't seen anything about Andre Sisco. With Dean Marlowe signing with Detroit, safety depth is a big concern. What are your thoughts on Sisco as a prospect, and is he the type of guy the Bills could go after at some point to develop behind Hyde and Poyer? To me, Cisco is a very high-risk, high-reward type player. If you read the summary section of my scouting report on the draftnetwork.com, this is what I wrote, and I think it does a good job of summarizing my thoughts overall on Cisco. This is what I said. Syracuse safety Andre Cisco's college career will be remembered for the frequent splash plays he made on the football that resulted in 13 interceptions and 14 pass breakups in just 24 games. He's a ball magnet, and his ability to take away the football makes him an appealing prospect. Not only is he a ball hawk, but Cisco's size and athleticism are both plus traits. Unfortunately, Cisco's game tape reveals several notable warts. While his ball production is exciting, he is a freelancer in coverage and is always looking for the big play, but that results in far too many blown coverages. In addition, Cisco is inconsistent when it comes to run fits, tackling, mirroring routes in man coverage, and anticipating routes in zone. From a technique standpoint, Cisco has considerable room for growth. Further complicating Cisco's valuation is the lower body injury he suffered in September. He collided with a teammate during pregame warmups on September 26th against Georgia Tech, which ended his season. Cisco has all the tools needed to grow and become an impact starter in the NFL, but notable development is needed for him to reach his ceiling. So there's a lot to like about Cisco. The ball production stands out. He's got good size. However, he has to become a much more assignment-driven player. And I'm not sure if the Bills are going to vibe with his gambling and his over-aggressiveness at times when you just need him to be a more disciplined player. Adam says, my first question is about Trayvon Merrig, the safety from TCU. I initially had no interest in him in the first round until one of your previous podcasts mentioned him as a potential Buffalo nickel option. Since the Bills didn't re-sign Dean Marlowe and they need safety depth, what are your thoughts on selecting him with the 30th pick? How would you rank drafting him compared to some of the top edge slash cornerbacks prospects as well as offensive playmakers? My second question is on Demetric Felton from UCLA. His page on the Draft Network says he played running back and also in the slot. If the Bills don't get a wide receiver and or running back early, could he potentially fill both roles as a slot and speed running back? So on Trayvon Merrig, I think he's the best safety in the class. I like him as a safety more than I do as a Buffalo nickel type player. I do think he's an option for that type of role, but I think you're getting the best out of Merrig if you're going to play him in the high post as a center fielder, uh, maybe even in some cover three where he's that middle defender, but um, I'm not sure I love him playing down low a ton. And so while he is an option, I think for the Buffalo nickel stuff, I'd much rather side with a corner 
or an edge or even potentially a wide receiver should the right one be there at pick 30. Your other question was about Demetric Felton. I'm not a big fan. Um, I don't think he has a natural position. Yeah, he's, he's played slot. He's played running back, but he's not natural at either spot. He's a body catcher that is very underdeveloped as a route runner from the receiver position. And as a runner, he's extremely undersized that doesn't really have the speed to be a true scat back. So I think he's going to have a tough path to making an NFL roster, and I don't think that he would provide an answer for the Bills. I need to tell you guys about Built Bar. It's the best-tasting protein bar on the planet. They have so many amazing flavors. Some of my favorites are the cookies and cream, cherry. I love the lemon almond cheesecake. They're all delicious. They're covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. It's like eating a candy bar, but they're good for you. Built Bars are great for anyone who is health conscious. Whether you want to lose weight, maintain weight, or just indulge in a delicious treat, you got to try Built Bars. They're low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and great for anyone on the keto diet. I've got a deal for you. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Next one today comes from Matt, who says, do you think the NFL needs to revamp their selection process for the Hall of Fame? Possibly change it to add a player and then remove a player type system. No, I don't think so at all. Um, Maybe you could talk about their selection process and how that can be tweaked and improved, but I definitely don't like the idea of pulling somebody out of the Hall of Fame to put somebody in there. Um, you get you know tons of new football players every single year added to the league. I mean, you're talking 250 draft picks, You know, another several hundred undrafted free agents. I don't think that you're in a position at all where it's overcrowded. It's still very prestigious. It's an elite place to be. And uh, just to pull somebody out just feels nuts to me. Uh, so yeah, we can talk about ways to tweak things But pulling out a guy that has been there, has been celebrated for being there, they have a bus, they've went through the induction process, like no way you pull somebody out because you want to put somebody in. Maybe there's reasons that exist that somebody should get pulled out, and that's a whole other conversation, but it's not to put somebody else in. Ted says, let's agree Brandon Bean would be interested in trading up to get in front of Cleveland, Baltimore, New Orleans, and Green Bay for a sliding edge or cornerback. Do any teams in the 19 to 25 draft positions look to be natural trade fits? Do any of those teams not have glaring needs at edge or cornerback and would also be interested in additional draft capital? I have three teams that I think make sense to be a trade partner for the Bills if they want to move up. Indy at 21, Jacksonville at 25, and Pittsburgh at 24. If the Bills want to move up, I think those are the three teams that make the most sense. Jeff says, if you could have a beer with one Bills fan legend, who would it be? While there are tons of great options, there are no shortage of great options to pick from. I would choose Ken Johnson, also known as Pinto Ron. This dude went to like 300 Bills games in a row. And he does the ketchup and mustard ceremony. It's a renowned thing across the NFL. I mean, this dude has some great stories. I would not want to miss out on that opportunity to chat and and have a beer with Pinto Ron. And I'll tell you what, as I'm recording this podcast on Thursday afternoon, 
the news came through that the Buffalo Bills are planning on full in-person attendance at Bills game for fans that are fully vaccinated. And so if you have the vaccine, you can go to the Bills games this fall. And I'm not going to debate the merits of that at all. I'm not touching it. But I can tell you that I'm vaccinated. And my wife is vaccinated. And we're going to be in Orchard Park this fall for at least one game. We're going to do some fun things surrounding the game. You know, We'll maybe do some live podcasts. I've already talked to some of the local restaurants and, and, and things like that. You know, I definitely plan on being on the game and having a presence. So we're looking forward to it. I've said multiple times on this podcast that I, you know, I want my wife to have that full Bills Mafia experience. And so this news was very exciting to hear. And I can't wait to meet a lot of you. And, um, you know, you got to do your best to help me convert my wife out of this Carolina Panthers fandom that she's in. I think one weekend in Western New York with Bills Mafia can get the job done to convert her out of this Panthers fandom. So help me out this fall. Once we see the Bills schedule, probably early May, we'll start lasering in on when and what exactly we're going to do. So I'll keep everyone posted. But with that news coming through, it's happening. It's definitely going to happen. The next one today comes from No Limits 505. He says, me and my dad were talking about your podcast today. First, I want to thank you for your podcast, mainly because it really helps me and my dad to have fun talking bills. Second, we have a question slash thought. We seem to be elite on the edge, but weak up the middle between our interior offensive line, running backs, and tight ends. Do you think it would open up the middle of the field and add another level to the offense if we were able to draft an upper echelon tight end? I think this could be a difference maker against elite defenses in the playoffs. First of all, thank you for sharing that part about you and your dad enjoying the podcast and how it helps you guys have uh, good conversations about the Bills. No, literally nothing could make me happier than hearing that. So thank you for sharing that, and I hope that's true for many of you. As for your idea about drafting an upper echelon tight end, I, I, it's not a bad idea. The problem is options, and, and this year there is an upper echelon tight end. His name is Kyle Pitts from Florida, and he's going to go in the top seven or eight picks of the draft, potentially as high as number four. So I just don't think he's in play for the Bills. I mean, the Bills would have to give up like three or four first-round picks, three first-round picks and Ed Oliver or something like that to get into the range that it would take to get Kyle Pitts. I don't think I'd do it. And there's no other tight end that I'd look at in this class and think they have the upside to become one of the better tight ends in the NFL. And so for those reasons, I just don't think this is a viable idea when it comes to the Bills' strategy. Getting an upper echelon tight end, sure, I'm in on that idea. I just don't know that the course to acquiring that is going to be the draft. And you guys know what I think about Dawson Knox. He has every physical gift needed to become a top-tier tight end in the NFL, and I'm looking forward to see what he does in year three. Next one comes from Mark, who says, I'm working on a TDN mock draft machine Bills draft right now. An interesting situation arose, and I wanted to get your take. At 30, both Caleb Farley and Greg Newsom were available. Two-part question. If you were making the pick, who do you take? Two, if McBean is making that pick, who do they take? Mark continues to say, I would love to have this dilemma in real life. 
I want Newsom because something about him screams Buffalo Bill to me, and I do have some concerns about how Farley's body will hold up. It's a really fun question to dig into. I love both of these players. Both both are first-round grades and I think are primed to have great NFL careers. I'd love either one of them. If the medicals check out on Farley, if your medical team says we're comfortable with where he's at, I think you pick Farley. If that's not the case, you pick Newsom. But I don't think you can lose in this situation unless Farley is the pick and he winds up not working out medically. And I'll tell you what, Newsom's not like a clean bill of health guy himself. He's got some concerns. Part of his issue is that you know he hasn't really played a ton either. So you know that, that's something to keep in mind with Newsom. But I, I love both of those players, and either would be a dream at pick thirty. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, MLB, and NHL seasons are in full swing. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, and they have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything that you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the new scores and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit when you use our promo code Locked On. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Next one today comes from Patrick, who says, with Knox on wood, Josh Allen locked up for the next six or seven years, how do the Buffalo Bills match the early 90s sauce that gave them wins? Currently, I really feel like the Bills are missing the X factor on special teams. I went back and watched YouTube highlights of Steve Tasker. I'm still shaking my head. What a difference maker and game changer that guy was. Football is a game of inches and possessions, and Steve Tasker made plays and got the ball back. Who is a sleeper in the draft or who is a sleeper in free agency that could be that X-Factor contributor on special teams? P.S. Got to replace Dean Marlowe. And then Patrick ends with Steve Tasker should be in the Hall of Fame. So when you look at the top 12 players on the team from 2020 that logged the most special team snaps, 11 of those are back. 11 of the top 12 are back. The only one not returning is Dean Marlowe, who was seventh. I think the Bills like the mix of players they have, and they have been very deliberate about creating the right mix of guys that they trust on special teams. The Bills are clearly a team that values special teams players. They don't just fill up their special teams units with whatever's left on the roster. They go and get guys like Taiwan Jones and, and Taylor Medikavich. So I'm not sure that you find guys like Steve Tasker. If you're looking to find the next Steve Tasker, I mean, he's a, one of the all-time great players in the NFL when it comes to special teams. I mean, what's the closest thing to Steve Tasker? Matthew Slater? I mean, there might only be five guys ever that come close to touching that type of special teams ability. It might be Matthew Slater, Kasim Osgood, Steve Tasker, end of list. So if you could just find the next Steve Tasker, I, I mean, everybody would do it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be it was such a rare thing. So I think the Bills are taking a collaborative approach. They invest heavily in teams. They value it. And I don't think you just find guys like Steve Tasker all the time. They're rare. And that's why 30 years after this guy does anything meaningful in the NFL, we're continuing to talk about Steve Tasker 
for what he did on special teams. It's not like he did anything as a receiver. So he's a unicorn. He is a unicorn. The next one today comes from Edgar, who says, Hi, Joe. In his year-end press conference, Brandon Bean said that he didn't think that the running problems were because of the running backs. But as it is right now, they are moving on with the same offensive line and running back groups. So how can we expect any improvements in the running game for next season? Also, I was wondering if the extension of Matt Milano means something to Tremaine Edmonds. Will the Bills take his fifth-year option? Will the team be more willing to let him walk after next season? Or is Milano's extension totally independent from Edmonds? On the Milano thing, and and as it relates to Edmonds, I don't think there's a correlation. I think the Bills love Tremaine Edmonds. They look at him as a young player that's like 23 years old, has made the last two Pro Bowls, has been a team captain over the last couple of seasons. I think they love him. And I don't think Milano's extension signals anything about Edmonds, and I expect them to pick up that fifth-year option. Now, you brought up Bean's comments about not really blaming the running problems on the running backs. And how does this get better if everyone's back? Well, the first thing that I'll say, and this was brought up by Marcel Louis-Jacques when we talked about running backs in Travis Etienne a couple weeks ago, the Bills' preferred starting offensive line, Dawkins, Ford, Morse, Feliciano, and Williams, those guys never took a single snap together at all last year, not in the game, not in practice, not in training camp. So while we sit here and say the Bills' offensive line is all back, it's not. It's not the case. That unit has never played together. So that's number one. It's not the same offensive line. Number two, I've been preaching this a little bit here lately. The Bills have an identity crisis when it comes to their run game. They had a big transition from 2019 to 2020, moving from more gap runs to more zone runs. And they had to figure out what they want to be, what type of run offense they want to be, make the schematic adjustments, get the right offensive line in there, the preferred five, and I think the running backs will be fine. I I wish they had more speed. I wish they were more consistent as pass catchers. I wish they had more skill. But the Bills had the best offense in franchise history and an elite NFL offense. So not just by Bills standards, it was elite last year, number two in scoring, number two in yards in the league last year with those running backs. I'm just not going to panic. I'm not going to panic. And I think Brian Dable fleshing out his scheme and figuring out what he wants to do with it, getting that right offensive line healthy and in front of those running backs, I think you'll see better production out of the backfield. The next one comes from Jeremy, who says, I can't wait for the regular season to start so I can hear you say happy victory Monday to you. The delivery is spot on. I love hearing that first thing Monday morning. About this time last year, you mentioned that an agent or agents offered you money to hype up a prospect. You mentioned it in passing, and I can't believe no one followed up on that. Is that true? If so, how did that conversation go? Have any of your colleagues been offered similar deals? Do you still talk to those agents? Finally, and I know you probably can't talk about this, but what kind of money are we talking about? I find this fascinating and would be interested in any details that you can provide, and I'm sure others would as well. So, yeah, several years ago, an agent offered me money, and it wasn't to hype up a prospect. It was actually 
to say negative things about a prospect in a tweet. They gave me the tweet. They said, you tweet this, we'll give you money. And it was a reasonable amount of money. It's one that makes it a little bit tough to say no, but I opted against it because it's just not my style. I want my takes and my opinions to be authentic, and I don't want to be a mouthpiece for agents. If you look at the way some tweets out there are worded, you can pick these out. You can figure it out. You see these NFL insiders and the way they phrase things, even when a guy signs a deal. You can see how the wording of that tweet has implications that probably comes from the agent, that they say, hey, I'll give you this information. I'll tell you I'll tell you first that this player signed with this team, but you need to say this about them. So just kind of be in tune with that, and you'll be able to pick it out. I made that choice that that's not what I want to do. I'm not going to be a mouthpiece for agents. I'm going to be an authentic analyst that has my own opinions. And so I, I declined, and um, I haven't spoke to them. They haven't reached out to me. You know, I basically said, hey, you know, I'm not really interested in doing that, and that was it. That was that was the end of the conversation. And yes, I'm aware of other people that have been given similar opportunities. The next one today comes from Joe, and man, did I love reading this. Joe says, I was never that interested in the draft beyond watching the first round on TV, then consuming content on the newest Bills picks after it was over. But that was before listening to your pod every day. Now I'm all in on being excited for the entire scouting and pre-draft process. I just joined the Draft Network with a premium subscription, and I'm even having a guy's night for day two of the draft this year. Thank you for opening my eyes to a whole new area of the sport. Dude, thank you for sharing that, man. I, I love it. That warms my heart. That is to, to feel like this podcast is creating more interest in roster construction and the draft and something that I'm so passionate about. Oh, man, I, I absolutely love it. Thank you for sharing that. His question is, now that I'm thinking a lot more about the draft, I have a question that is really bugging me. With the literally thousands of D1 college football players out there, how do scouts and analysts start to whittle it down to only a few hundred that wind up on draft boards and those worthy of UDFA team visits post-draft, let alone a few D2 or D3 Cinderella stories? It's a good question, Joe. The scouting process starts with Blesto and the National Scouting List. These are two organizations that every NFL team subscribes to, and it gives them grades of all the best players across college football. And so that's where the conversation starts. From the media side, you hope you're lucky enough to get your hands on one of those two lists. I usually have a lot of success with that, and it's critical for getting you started on watching the right players because you're right. It's a massive undertaking. There's way too many players out there to weed through them all. Now, from the NFL side of things, they divide up the country, and each scout has an area that they're responsible for. And as part of that, they have to go to all the schools and learn about all the players in those schools. So you take a list of thousands and thousands of names, and by the end of the process, NFL draft boards range from 75 to 150 names. That's it. That's all the players that will be on a typical team's NFL draft board. But it starts with, after the current draft, 
you get those national and blesto scouting lists and you start working through it. And from there, a year later, you figured out the hundred or so names that your team is actually interested in drafting. The last one today comes from Paul who says, I was wondering if you could give an update on Trey Adams. From my calculations, the only other non-starting offensive tackle is newly signed Bobby Hart, and I really don't have much confidence that he is going to make this team, which would leave Trey Adams as our new swing tackle if we don't address the position in any other way. Adams was a very highly touted prospect at one time, but injuries got the best of him. Is there any update as to how he is progressing physically and if he is perhaps ready to take a real step to earning a roster spot and contributing to the team? P.S. Thanks for making draft season almost as fun as the regular season. Thank you so much, Paul. So as it relates to Trey Adams, I don't think there's been an update on where he is physically. He was on the practice squad last year, and it'll be a big offseason and preseason and training camp for him to prove that he should be one of the nine guys at the Bills roster this coming season and claim that swing tackle role. Um, Like you mentioned, he was a highly regarded prospect at one time. Many people thought he was a first rounder and then he had several bad injuries and he just never looked the same. I mean, it's not that he just didn't look the same. He went from a first round guy to a guy that you watch and say, I'm not sure this guy has what it takes to play in the NFL. And that's why he went undrafted at the end of the day. So, We'll see on him. I don't think without hearing from Sean McDermott or Brandon Bean, we don't really have any updates in terms of hard information for us to point to about where he's at physically. Now, as it relates to the swing tackle situation on the roster, yeah, it's it's Deion Dawkins and Daryl Williams, and you mentioned Bobby Hart. Ryan Bates is also in the mix to be that swing tackle. In fact, Sal Capaccio was on the Spot Rack podcast with Mike Gennetti, and when he was asked about the Bills potentially not bringing back Darrell Williams as the right tackle, he mentioned that the Bills love Ryan Bates and there's a chance they view him as the starting right tackle. So with that information, I think we have to take Ryan Bates very seriously as the swing tackle option. So to me, he's first guy off the bench right now at tackle. You mentioned Bobby Hart. You also have Forrest Lamp in the mix now who has some experience at tackle. Cody Ford in a pinch, right? He can play right tackle. So I think they have enough options. I don't love the tackle depth by any means, but I do think we have to remember Ryan Bates in this swing tackle conversation, and obviously Sal Capaccio's comments really bring a lot to light when it comes to understanding how the Bills perceive Ryan Bates. All right, folks, that'll do it for us today here on the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm excited about tomorrow's podcast. I'm not going to fully tease it right now because, you know, there's a chance the Bills make a move where it derails my plan, but Thursday's podcast is going to be one that I think will have a lot of interest. So don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed, rate, review, share the podcast, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.